the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello and welcome to the Situation Report today. My name is Jeremy Stolicker. I am your host and this is the show where we do our best three times a week to give you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. Uh, I'm honored today to have uh, someone who understands leadership, who teaches on leadership, and who does so from a place of experience. There are a lot of those philosophers, leadership philosophers and theorists, those who have learned and read and now want to communicate that to others. And then there are practitioners, uh, those who are now teaching others what they have learned through experience, through hard work, and, and really through, uh, as is the case with our guest today, combat, uh, an unforgiving environment, an environment where if you don't lead well, then very bad things happen. And he's had the opportunity to take these principles and teach them to many audiences, teaching them in business and uh, other places. What an important conversation this is right now. Leadership is the whole thing. (laughs) Whether you're leading your family, you're leading in your business setting, whatever that might be, you might be at the top of the leadership chain, you might not be, you're somewhere beneath Whatever the case, leadership is the answer, and I'm so grateful to have on today as my guest, Mike Sorelli. Honored to have as my guest today, Mike Sorelli. If you're not familiar with Mike, you need to be. Uh, this is an introduction to the work that he's doing. Involved in a lot of stuff. Former United States Marine Corps Force Recon Marine and Sniper. Then transitioned into the Navy, became a Navy SEAL. I don't recommend that transition, but a few have done it and done it well. He's one of those entrepreneur, CEO of the Talent War Group, which uh, I'll let him talk about. CEO of ADA, which is a really cool, uh, really collaboration with uh, Men's Health. And uh, again, I'd love for you to talk about that as well. Author of The Talent War, How Special Operations and Great Organizations Win on Talent. Host of Truth and Tribe podcast. Man, you're into everything. I don't know how you have time to even do this interview, but thanks for doing it. Appreciate it. I think my wife would agree with you on that one. Uh, Pick <laughs> a few things and uh, and stick with it. Just one uh, sort of fact check there. Uh, I wasn't a force recon marine. I was a recon marine. Uh, I served at the battalion level, so I don't want to uh, take away from the guys that uh, had what it took to to make it to the force level. Uh, that would be. Uh, I would love to do a whole show just on the difference between uh, force and battalion recon. I have very strong opinions on that as a former infantry officer. Um, but, uh, man, I appreciate your service. And I, I mentioned before we jumped on, um, you know, with the work that we do, our audience uh, really uh, at least appreciates military service. And uh, in this world, we need more guys like you standing up and talking about that and, and uh, really presenting what it is to have served honorably and then to do it after the military. This is something I'm screaming about all of the time. 20 million-plus veterans in the United States – we have a dearth of leadership. I mean, an absolute vacuum in our country. And yet we have men and women who have been taught how to lead, who have led in difficult circumstances and difficult places. 
and by and large aren't doing it. So appreciate what you're doing and, and how you're how you're leading forward on that. You know, the two words American exceptionalism. Yeah. Are becoming rarer, rarer, and rarer these uh, these days. And what made it so exceptional was the level and quality of leadership that America produced. That the yeah. world, quite frankly, looked to us as again, you know, the president, the leader of the free world. Mm. And twenty million vets. That number is going down. There should be a lot more vets in this nation. Right. When I talk about the military, it is the world's greatest leadership development platform. And right now, recruiting is, a, is is abysmal. It's at an all-time low because the military is not conveying to young men and women the lessons they will learn serving our nation. And again, you go back to the military, it is a factory line of producing leaders. And yeah. we need more vets to step up, especially during these times, and take political office. And I'll volunteer other vets. I won't volunteer myself. <laughs> uh, probably not my, my best fit. Yeah, I can't imagine getting into politics. I always uh, I interview a lot of politicians, and I I always preface that with, "You have the worst job in the world, but I'm glad someone's doing it." And uh, we need more veterans to stand up. And, but but also in the you know in the business world, we need more veterans to stand up. And, and a lot lot do. Um, I've got friends who started businesses, of course. But uh, it, it's crazy. And you know, coming from the Marine Corps, the small unit leader—that's the whole thing, right? If you're a corporal in the Marine Corps. Um, you can be a company commander, but really it's the corporals that get things done. It's the staff NCOs then that, that lead the thing. So at every lead, every level, we're teaching leadership. And I, I feel not bad. That's not the right way to say it. But what a travesty it is for someone who's had so much invested in them in terms of what it is to lead, what it means to lead, what that looks like, to then step out in the civilian world and go, I, I just don't care anymore. It, it, it really is. It's amazing to me. You know, there's, there's a few factors at play, in my opinion. Um, one, Hollywood is a is an extremely powerful uh, mm. industry. Yeah, and they sometimes paint veterans in the military in a very negative light. They they play yeah. to the lowest common denominator, like we're a bunch of meatheads that run around yelling at each other. That's right. not the Marine Corps I knew. Right? Could you imagine if companies had a similar onboarding process to Marine boot camp, which hmm. I think. Yeah, we're both Marines here, but if we had Army, Navy, Air Force along, uh, alongside sure. us, they'd say, yeah, the Marine Corps boot camp sort of stands out as the golden standard. Right. Uh, they take young men and women who sometimes are troubled youth and turn them into professionals in less than 90 days that understand core values, that understand leadership principles, that understand attributes. And when Hollywood does that, and now we're only 1% of the nation – when these young Marine corporals get out or, or these officers or army soldiers, they're sort of discounted for what they know. Yeah. Uh, and, and they're often told, Hey, don't bring that military style of leadership yeah. Uh, yeah. into this company. Well, let me tell you, you know, people ask, and I, I had the privilege of serving at JSOC, which to the listeners is uh, America's <laughs> counterterrorism force. It yeah. is the 0.0001% of all special operations that few have what it takes to, uh, to make it there. These are the most lethal warriors in the world. And again, people think when they hear that, they think of a certain stereotype. Well, let me yeah. smash that stereotype for you right now. The most lethal warriors I knew were the most kind, respectful, empathetic human beings. Mm. And you would never know that they served. They wouldn't tell you how many people they had killed, how many medals they had won, or how many deployments they had. You'd be sitting, having, great, having a great conversation with them in an airport, thinking, wow, that is an amazing man or an amazing woman. Yeah. 
And people gravitate towards them for what they stand for and who they are. And I was one of those people that gravitated to, to those, those lethal warriors and they shaped me into the leader I am today. I am a product of the mentors and the coaches I had uh, at JSOC and in the Marine Corps and in the regular SEAL teams. Yeah, our uh, special operations community in particular, very high IQ folks. I, I don't think people really understand what it takes to operate at that level. Um, but even if you filter that down to, you know, outside of the special operations community, what it takes to do what we ask 17, 18, 19-year-old young people to do is absolutely amazing. And, and I, always, I always push back on this characterization that, well, people go in the military because they don't have anything else to do. They can't do anything else. That may be some people, I, I don't know, but I haven't met those people. Uh, to be able to function physically, emotionally, we could talk about the spiritual aspects of service, but then intellectually to do what is, is required is, is unbelievable. I was part of the invasion into Iraq with 1st Battalion, 5th Marines. Uh, we breached the berm. We went in. This was a new experience for 100% of us. And yet we executed well because we had trained well. But the decisions that have to be made in a split second, I challenge anyone outside of the military to be able to leverage whatever it is they have to make decisions that quickly. It, it's unbelievable. The, the high IQ, the, um, the acumen in so many different disciplines all at the same time is unbelievable. And people just don't understand what it takes. I, I don't want to throw out uh, statistics that, that I know I'm not firm on, but... I think it is something along the lines of only three to four out of every 10, uh, you know, 18 year old is eligible for military service. We mm. do hold a high bar. Now, right. you know, I, I don't want to take away and say, hey, the military is the only organization that, that produces leaders. It's of not. Course. There of are course. some amazing private sector leaders there yes. who have been my mentors. Uh, chief amongst them, a guy named Bill Campbell, who is known mm. as the secret coach of Silicon Valley. However, he was a NCAA head football coach before he made the leap into Kodak, Apple, right. and then became the director uh, of the board for, for Apple. But at the end of the day, there are only two organizations that have written the manual for leadership that should be a, a curriculum within higher education, and it should be the Bible for all businesses. And that is the U.S. Army and the mm. U.S. Marine Corps. Yeah. Those are the finest uh, you know, two novels anyone can read. And yeah. for any organization starting out, get a hold of it, read through it, and form your culture and your leadership style based off one of those manuals. You yeah. will be setting yourself up for, for success. As you know, our friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. He didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow. Now Mike has done it again by introducing his My Slippers. For a limited time, you will save $90 on a pair of my slippers. This blowout sale of the year won't last, so order now. Mike has taken two years to develop the my slippers, and they are designed to wear both indoor and out all day long. Made with my pillow foam and impact gel to help prevent fatigue, they are also made with quality leather suede. Call 1 800 870 0283. Use the promo code SITREP or go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and use promo code SITREP. This offer will not last long, so order now with promo code SITREP at MyPillow.com. Man, I, I could go down this road for a long time, but Mike, why yeah. don't we take a step back. Just tell us your story. How does one get involved in uh, what you're doing? And I know there's kind of some twists and turns there, but you have a, a fascinating just personal story. Tell us a little bit about that. 
so, you know, uh, didn't come from a military lineage uh, either. I actually met a Force Recon Marine when I was 18. And everything about the individual made me want to serve. His name right. was Staff Sergeant Ben Post. Not only was he physically fit, he was kind and respectful. The other Marines weren't, uh, you know, weren't infantry. They were, they were uh, support MOSs. And he was different than all of them. And he had this thing I call humble confidence. You know, he could laugh at himself when he failed and pick himself uh, back yeah. up. And he knew yeah. he would find a way to win. And when you have role models like that representing your organization, it's the best recruiting tool any organization can have. And so I joined the Marine Corps because I said, I want to be just like that individual. And when I got exposed to the Marine Corps, this is one of the greatest organizations I've ever been a part of. And in fact, uh, I was sitting in... Uh, a Delta lounge in Minneapolis yesterday. I'm not, I'm not kidding you. And one general, uh, mad dog Mattis, uh, walked by immediately <laughs> stood up and said, uh, good morning, general. And uh, I can tell you was jet lag and he continued <laughs> on, but, um, that's, that's an example of the exceptional leaders that, that yeah. the military, uh, produces. So, um, I did serve five years in the Marine Corps. I got picked up for something called the MESAP program. Mm. The Marine Corps sent me back to school, yeah. uh, cause we put a precedence on education uh, and uh, I went to Marinos, yes, did very well. But before I took that commission, uh, the war had already kicked off. And uh, unfortunately, the Marine Corps was not part of SOCOM at the time. Right. And so uh, I made the decision to transfer over to the Navy SEALs, which, which is called an inter-service transfer um, department of the Navy, and then served in the SEAL teams for three combat deployments before being selected to try out for JSOC and then served uh, the remainder of my 11 uh, combat deployments uh, there. So after I got out, you know, every veteran or every uh, discharging uh, military service member struggles with what is the next step. Right. I went and got my MBA at the University of Texas, not only, to, not only to learn the business side, but also to give myself time to figure out what I wanted to do. And what I went in thinking I wanted to do was vastly different than what I went into when I, when I got out. One of the things I've started a number of businesses, uh, Talent War Group, uh, which is sort of the, you know, based off the, the book we wrote, The Talent War, yeah. uh, is an executive search firm that places mm. a lot of high-performing veterans as well as high-performing civilians into C-suite or manager, managerial roles. But more importantly, what we do is leadership development for companies. Companies that right. don't know how to develop a leadership development ecosystem, we come in and build that framework. We give them the initial curriculum. We follow a train-the-trainer model, which means we train the leaders within that organization to become the coaches and mentors that their organization requires to take it to the next level. Now, along that path, um, one thing that doesn't sit well with me is I lost a lot of brothers and sisters uh, from the SEALs, from special operations. Right. Uh, even, you know, one incident in particular was known as Extortion 17, yep. the largest yep. loss of life in Afghanistan. It was a helicopter. 31 Americans were killed. 17 yep. were were, were, were close friends of mine that I'd served in combat with and how quickly we forget their legacy, especially during a yeah. time when uh, and I, I try not to be judgmental or too critical. Uh, we are squabbling as Americans over things that are just not that important. Mm. And we forget the fact that young men and women who are future private sector leaders, future politicians, future educators uh, gave their lives and were cut short. Yeah, uh, for yep. our nation and our democracy. So I started something called Legacy Expeditions. Now, Legacy Expeditions is, uh, and where, where I intend to take it is one, we do extreme adventures to uphold the legacy of our fallen. 
And for example, we just went to Iceland. Uh, myself yeah. and a man named uh, Andy Stumpf, also a Navy SEAL, yeah. he's the host of the Clear It Hot podcast. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. He makes me look stupid. The guy is that articulate, <laughs> that well-spoken. Uh, and we did four jumps. Unfortunately, it was supposed to be 16 jumps. But the four jumps in honor of four fallen on each jump. And all we're asking for people to do is just go read these people's stories. Your jaws will drop. That these young yeah. uh, you know, men and women gave their lives. They were cut short. And they were all already high-performing uh, individuals. But where I want to take Legacy Expeditions is I want to take more veterans on those extreme experiences who may be struggling with that transition. Because when you leave the military, you leave one of the greatest support mechanisms right. uh, in the world. Right. And I want right. them to feel that thrill again. And when you're out under a canopy, parachute canopy, at 5,000 feet above Mount Everest, um, it is the most spiritual uh, thing that, for me, you can think of. And it's yeah. been almost cathartic for me. And I want more veterans to uh, realize that as we're raising funding for veteran organizations and upholding the memory of, uh, of, of amazing Americans who set the example, the shining path for us to follow. We're just, we're, we're not following that path. And that's, that's yeah. a shame right now. Uh, it's awesome to hear you're doing that. I read your bio on your website and um, you said something like this. I, I'll probably get it wrong, but something like, I had this support group, I had this community, I had these people that I was connected to on Monday, and then they were gone on Tuesday because you had gotten out and you had transitioned. And so many men and women who serve, it, it is in that transition that they, they lose, we might say lose themselves, really they lose their identity. They knew who they were, and now they don't. And being around men and women who have also served helps with that. Um, what in that process of not only finding what you wanted to do as you went back to college and, you know, what do I want to do with my life, but but kind of reengaging with your identity or readdressing that, whatever whatever terminology you'd use for that, what did that process look like for you? I, I know that's a big struggle for a lot of men and women who have served. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what, it's not linear at all. Yes. Yeah. It's zigzags, and, and a lot of times it's about five steps back for every uh, one step you take forward. You're absolutely right. The military is a tribe. And in that tribe, we hold certain attributes dear, selflessness uh, being one of them. And so for a veteran leaving the military and then all of a sudden reengaging into normal society where selflessness is a rare trait, uh, it can be a shock, a culture shock to you. Um, Where you are so team oriented, you step into a culture that is self oriented. Right. you know, this is not a process that, that you figure out overnight. Sometimes it takes years, and that's okay. And we try to tell veterans the truth. It sucks. There's no way to sugarcoat this. Yeah. You're going to have to redefine who you are. You're going to have to redefine what purpose means to you. Um, and and re, redefine in, in sense of what occupation brings you a sense of purpose. Um, you're going to have to, you know, basically create a new tribe, and that that's okay. Uh, hopefully finding people that are like-minded and you're doing sort of several different facets to sort of, re, uh, let's say, sort of assimilate back into a culture that is, uh, is different. And that path is different for everyone. Uh, I'd like yeah. to say some people it takes a year. Others, it takes seven years. So there's no one set path. You know, we just need more assistance for our veterans to help them along the way. And, and we don't have any great programs in place uh, on a mass scale to assist all of them getting out. And that's, that's sad. And we all know the suicide rate is extremely high, which kills me to see people give everything for their country yeah. when they get out and take their lives. 
Something needs to be done. We, and you know, part of legacy expeditions is we try to preach to veterans is like, get out there and do something. Yeah. Get out there and do something. It doesn't have to do with yeah. money. If it's, you know, climbing a hilltop that the closest hilltop to you, if, if it's getting out on the water and paddling 20 miles, do something and do right. it in the memory of those brothers and sisters that you lost. And remember they died so you could live and you actually need to find the yeah. joy yeah. in that. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, let me say this, Jeremy. I know you probably lost Marines and you know, if you're sitting at home drinking whiskey in a dark room, that's not what they died for. Yeah. And, and, and that is survivor's guilt. And that, that is one of the most common forms of PTSD. That means you're a human being good on you. But I assure you those brothers and sisters that you lost would want you to be happy. They would want you to smile. So every time you think of them, you got to find the joy in their yeah. sacrifice. You got to find the joy in those moments you had to them where you were dirty. You hadn't showered for a week. Hmm. You're in austere conditions in Iraq or Afghanistan. And that one joke that he made or she made that just put you on your ass laughing for days. Yeah. You got to remember those times. That's uh, that's great. I, I have a picture hanging up in my office. I've had it since, uh, since I left the Marine Corps. And it's of my platoon in the rubble of one of the buildings of the Al-Azamaya Palace on the north side of the Tigris River in, in Iraq. And uh, it's crazy how much, and, and you would understand this, a lot of people listening will think I'm crazy, but that picture kind of speaks to me when I look at those young men and you look at that unit and, and it's, it's exactly what you said. There are times where I'm like, you know what, forget it. <laughs> None of this matters. And you look at those guys and you think, I've got to do it. Not, not you know, I've... I, I'm a Christian. I believe I need to do it because God calls me to things. I'm a husband. I'm a father. But I also represent those guys. And some of those guys didn't come home. Some came home and then went back to, um, you know, follow on operations and lost their lives. Some have taken their lives. I, I have zero excuse for not doing well and accomplishing important things in this life. And, and, and that does. It drives you. It, and it's important that you understand that. And, and Jeremy, I've got pictures of my old units all around my office here. And I have yeah. got pictures right now, three pictures of Michael Monsoor mm. who jumped on a grenade three feet from me on a rooftop mm. in uh, AR Ramadi. He yeah. was awarded the, uh, posthumously the, the, the Medal of Honor. And that bothers me to this day. There are hard times. There are times that I just break out in tears in private um, because I can't find the joy. Yeah. But you've got to weather those dark times um, and don't let the... Uh, the, the evil voices whisper in your ear that it's not worth it. Uh, take control. You yep. just, no one's saying it's easy. No one says you're right. going to find the joy at all times. This is a fight. Yep. Don't remember that. Uh, don't forget that you are warriors and a warrior is not about professions, uh, profession of arms. A warrior is about a mindset and a warrior understands that there'll be more hard times and there'll be good times, but that's the gift of life. Yeah, that's good. One of the topics that you discuss that you talk about a lot is failure. And I think that's interesting. Someone could look at you and say, uh, well, it's all about success. This guy is genetically predisposed to accomplish these things. And, and, and maybe you are, maybe, <laughs> maybe you're genetically better than the rest of us. Uh, but you talk a lot about failure and the importance of failure. Can you talk about that for a minute? Yeah. Well, let me answer the first one. Uh, genetically, no, <laughs> I don't come from a, uh, an elite gene pool. Uh, I didn't even graduate with my high school class. Um, I, I had to go to summer school to, to, to graduate. Right. Uh, things have not been easy, but I'll tell you, that's why I was so successful in the military. Mm. It's because my parents had bred me to be resilient. Uh, yeah. They put me into a lot of things where I failed. 
failure builds resiliency. And we've seen even that, mm. you know, uh, and by the way, I was 140 pounds when I joined the Marine Corps. I was a small right. uh, guy. The Marine Corps taught me how to work out. They taught me how to, you know, proper nutrition. Um, but in SEAL training, we have some very high-performing individuals that attend. NCAA athletes, we had Division One football players. We had Olymp- Olympic medalists, mm. and a lot of them quit. Yeah. Because while they did have uh, superior genetics – uh, and they did put work and effort into being very good at the craft, football, swimming. Uh, they hadn't occurred, incurred a lot of failure in their life. And SEAL training is designed to make you fail. Yeah. And when you fail and they see you about to get back up, they come over and push you down before you can. And they just keep <laughs> doing that to see how you react. Yeah. And so these kids that don't come from uh, you know, great backgrounds or weren't great athletes, that everything has been a challenge in life. They were it wasn't new to them. They knew just to keep fighting through it. But for that athlete who'd made maybe always been pampered, uh, a yeah. lot of them didn't know how to deal with that failure and, and quit. So the, the, the bottom line here is failure is part of the process. That's what you have to understand. You have to change your thought paradigm of how you see failure and understand that it's part of the building blocks to achieving whatever your goals may be. Yeah. And a lot of people opt not to step into the arena because of their great fear of failure. Once mm. you, you, you make that thought paradigm, that, that thought, you change uh, your, your thought about failure, you'll understand it's part of the process and you won't fear it as much anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's so important. If you're unwilling to fail, I spent a lot of years of my life, you know, almost afraid of failure um, to the point that I, I, I would, I'll say I would function at an above average place and so that got me further down the road than a lot of other people uh, because I could work hard and I could do those things. But I knew where my limit was, and that limit was if I go beyond this, I might fail, so I won't. And, and in that, you hold yourself back. If you're unwilling to cross that line and at least give it a shot, uh, you may be better than the average, you may be better than most, but you're not all that, that you should be. So let, let's look at it. You just brought up a great point, and, and we talked about it in the book, uh, The Talent War. True growth in learning take place outside one's comfort zone. Yeah. Could I take, uh, let's say, 20 uh, very high-performing uh, football players out of high school and train them how to be Navy SEALs, the technical, tactical aspect of the job? 100% I could. Yep. But the reason the training is so hard is that it's designed to push people outside their comfort zones right? because that's when true character emerges. Right. So you have to. We are in a society that has gotten way too comfortable and with that way too entitled to think that, you know, we don't have to push ourselves. You do. You yeah. do. And the only way you're going to learn is, is, is getting out there and accepting that you're going to be uncomfortable. And as we know, you know, in the military, we often say it, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. And if you could do that throughout your life, your trajectory for growth and learning is going to be much higher than the peers around you. You just have to try. You know, there's, there's a phrase, and I won't say the complete phrase uh, that somebody taught me. In fact, one of my guys taught me in the SEALs is he had a motto before something where he was nervous or uncomfortable. He'd say the word F it. Yeah. F it. Um, yeah. We'll leave the, the, the F yeah. for, for imagination <laughs> of people. And he explains to me, he's like, F it. What's the worst that can happen? I can yep. step in front of this crowd and stumble on my words, but I'm still going to live. I'm going to move on tomorrow. I'm going to learn. I'm just going to continue moving. And so I, I sort of took that from him. And 
you know, I speak for a living. And before I step on stage, hopefully my mic's not on. I just sort of say, <laughs> F it. Yeah. And then, and then attack. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's been a great motivator for me. I think that's a, that's a fight that people need to fight throughout their lives. I, um, I believe, and I've got kids, I've got you know, a couple older kids, and I've taught this to my kids, you've got to do hard things, you've got to do hard things. Well, why? Because you need to do hard things. I, I spend a lot of time running. I hate running. I've always hated running. I run ultra marathons. People always say, well, in order to run 30 miles or 60 miles or 100 miles, you must love running. I hate running, but I, but I, I value doing things that are difficult. And, and if you come to the place in your life where you're going to take the easy path instead of the hard one. Are you really living? I mean, that's the question I ask people is, are you really living if you're unwilling to push hard and be uncomfortable? There's a phrase, what is it? Uh, easy choices lead to a hard life. Hard yeah. choices lead to a good life. Not an easy life, yeah. a good life. Right. There's a reason uh, I still skydive. So I took a, about a five-year uh, break from skydiving, uh, which we did a lot in JSOC um, because I had a hip problem and eventually got it, it got it replaced. Um, and almost nine months to the day from my hip surgery, uh, and taking that five year break of skydiving, a buddy of mine was leading a skydiving expedition to Mount Everest. And I said, what do I got to do to get on it? Yeah. I said, this much money. And and so he said, have you been skydiving? And and I'm like, "Uh, yeah, sure, buddy. Uh, (laughs) when's the last time you you skydived? Like, Oh, last month. Uh, I'm not proud (laughs) that I lied to a friend, but, um, I think he understands. And uh, skydiving scares the living crap out of me. Yeah. Um, and that's why I do it because it yeah. is so intoxicating. Yeah. And I learn every time I jump, I get better and better. Now, you know, I want to say something too, like, oh, people, you, you guys in the military are, are fearless. No. Mm. People who are truly fearless are sociopaths. Right. They should be locked up somewhere. We route them out of the military quickly because they are a threat and a liability yeah. to everyone around them. We take normal men and women who are fearful, who are God-fearing and fearful of dangerous situations. Yep. And then we train them so well. We educate them so well. We prepare them so well that it buys down that risk. But the fear is always there. Yeah. I didn't step in. I was in a lot of gunfights. I didn't step into a gunfight without fear. Every single yep. time I was fearful, especially after I was wounded. And I, I, I felt for the first time what that feels like. That yep. was always there. But I always had confidence in the 40 men to my left and right. Mm, that's good. Yeah. That no matter uh, the size of the enemy, no matter if we were in, in an inferior position, we would prevail. Yeah, that's good. Um, leadership is, is so important. You speak a lot on leadership. We're in a mess as a nation. And you mentioned we're fighting over things that don't matter. And I, I agree with that in, in so many areas. But what part does leadership play in the circumstance we currently find ourselves in? I'm not asking for a political answer either. I mean, you can give one if you'd like. But uh, what, what part does leadership play in just the vast array of struggles that we're having as a country right now? It plays everything. There, there's no other answer. It's one, it, our problems or our solutions are based solely on good leadership or bad leadership. Yeah. And right now, again, American se- exceptionalism is not alive. We expect our leadership to be the very best in one place to set the example for the rest of the nation. And that's the national capital region. Many people refer to it as Washington, D.C. And our leaders are not upholding the principles, the concepts, and the attributes that Mm. we know are indicators of good leadership. 
Yeah. You know, when you say the buck stops here, it, it's not just a, a byline you throw out. No, the buck stops with you. Not passing blame on others. If right. you take a leadership position, whether it's the yeah. president of the United States, it's the CEO of a company, and that organization is not performing, the buck stops with you. Now, if you own up to bad conditions or bad outcomes and then provide a way ahead in terms of solutions, you, I'm all ears, and I will support you uh, you know, to, to the very end. But we are allowing uh, these politicians to set a horrible example for our youth. Because somebody's a politician does not mean they went through leadership development training. Sure. We're actually missing a huge opportunity. And, you know, higher education, which, you know, it's debatable whether higher education is equipped to teach leadership development. As you just mm. said, there's a perfect opportunity for our officers and senior enlisted coming home to step into these institutions all the way down to grammar school or elementary schools. Yep. Start teaching leadership to our next generation. So God hope. God willing that they are better than we are. Because right now, and I take ownership of it as well, our generation is not setting a shining example for them. We need to double down on leadership development. And it starts in, with, our, with our younger generation. Uh, and it also starts with setting the example. You know, there's a principle that both the Army and the Marine Corps hold dear within their leadership principles. And I know you know this. It says lead by example. If right. you forget all else, don't forget this one. People will be what people can see. As a yeah. leader, people are watching you. You have to live what you preach. This rules for thee, not for me. Yeah. That degrades any credibility whatsoever. So as leaders, even in the hard times, you have to make the hard choices, even if it impacts you and your family harshly. And you set the example. And people are forgetting that. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care if you have fame. You must set the example at all times for the people that are following you, people who have entrusted their well-being to you, if you're the CEO or, again, the president. That's fantastic. Uh, let me follow that with this question. How do you lead when things aren't going well? So we look at a nation that is what we have. Things aren't going well. Uh, every metric you, you could use, you could say things are not going well. But you bring that down to a community, communities struggling across the country. Bring that down to a family. Maybe it's your business, your organization, whatever the case. Um, leaders often, and, and we could probably argue whether or not they're leaders if they back out, but sometimes people who are capable of leadership back out because things are going so poorly that they just say, it's, it's not worth it, I can't do it, uh, I can't lead here in this environment. How do leaders lead when things are not going well? Here's, here's the first step, is tell the truth. Don't, don't try to sell people that things are not that bad. Tell the truth. Hey, we're in a bad situation right now. Yep. And if you don't have the answers as a leader, that's okay. It's okay to say, hey, guys, we're in bad times. And quite yeah. frankly, I don't know what direction to take us right now. I'm open to ideas. Always remember, you're never the smartest man or woman uh, <laughs> right. in the room. Right. But if I lead 40 people and I led 40 SEALs, that the aggregate intelligence of those people far outweighs mine. Sure. And so there were scenarios where I stepped in and I said, hey, guys, I don't know what the right course of action is here. What do you think? And I canvassed the room, sort of what Simon Sinek, which Simon Sinek uh, takes all his great leadership lessons from the military. Right. He's smart. <laughs> we should trademark things before Simon Sinek comes in the house. Um, but leaders speak last. Listen to everyone's ideas. 
They may have, uh, you know, in, at the end of the day, let's say your junior person in an organization comes up with the best idea. We have a phrase in the SEAL teams, best idea wins. Competency knows no rank. Competency mm. doesn't know tenure. If our youngest person comes up, or our least experienced person comes up with a great idea, we say, that's awesome. We're going to do that. And in fact, I'm putting you in charge uh, of this initiative because you're the one that thought it, that, that sort of dreamed it up. And so yep. you must have a vision behind it. So I'm going to put resources in place to make sure that you're set up for success, but you own this one. And of course, as yep. a leader, I technically own it. At the end of the day, the buck stops with me. So tell the truth, canvas your people, work together to identify solutions. And once you've identified solutions, there is an, there's a difference between agreement and alignment. Right. And the SEAL teams are like, oh, you, you guys must have agreed on, it, uh, on everything. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> but we had alignment. We had buy-in to that organization. We were all mission-focused uh, or mission-oriented. Yeah. We disagreed on the course of action, the right course of action. But once a decision was made, everyone gets behind that leader as if the decision was their own and tries their very best to make sure that that outcome is victorious. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, man, so much else we could talk about here, but maybe we conclude conclude with you talking a little bit about ADA, um, one step at a time, uh, what you're doing there and uh, kind of the scope or what your intent is. Yeah, so ADA, we call it the ADA way, which actually comes from a philosophy I call the everyday warrior. I've got a new book coming out in January called The Everyday Warrior, A No-Hack Practical Approach to Life. And people, I think people will find it very direct and, and pragmatic and, yeah. and I don't color coat anything. It's yeah. about that warrior mindset. And it talks a lot about failure and victimhood. Um, and, and how, you know, one of the worst pandemics that our nation is facing is not COVID. It's victimhood. Yeah, it's good. We are, we, are, we are enabling victims. You own your outcomes. You own the decisions you make. My circumstances don't define me. My right. decisions do. So from that everyday warrior, part of it, one of the philosophies is the out of way. One step at a time. How do you accomplish anything? How do you climb a mountain? One step at a time. Yeah. You know, that it's very powerful when you think about it. People in today's society, because they're being sold this, are looking for shortcuts and hacks. Take this pill and you'll lose 30 pounds in 30 days. Yep. Those are fake. They don't right. work. Right. And if you take that pill, let's say you, learn, you, you lose 30 pounds right away, you have failed to establish the positive uh, habits required to keep that weight off. Yep. You'll put that 30 pounds uh, right back on. Yep. So we promote within the everyday warrior uh, concept, building positive habits one step at a time. Yeah. That's awesome. Where can people uh, hear your podcast, uh, read what you've written, learn more about you and the organizations that you're uh, responsible for? So truth plus tribe was a select season in the wake of uh, how uh, Afghanistan ended. And it was very military focused. If people want to go listen to it, it's on Apple podcast and it is just, it is vulnerable. We, we got really vulnerable yep. in the way of what happened. Uh, my new podcast is through men's journal. It's the men's journal, everyday warrior. It's a whole initiative. Hence yep. uh, the title again, yep. uh, they can find it on men's journal. It's on the top menu. Uh, we have great guests from Sammy Hagar to Mel Tucker, the head uh, you know, football coach of Michigan state, uh, which I recently interviewed. That guy was spitting gold. That's awesome. What a leader. Michigan State fans are lucky to have him. He's yeah. a character individual who's going to take that, uh, that program to, uh, to new heights. And he already did. They had an 11-2 uh, season. But uh, Everyday Warrior, we're putting out articles on failure, on mindset, on stress, on leadership. 
and I've put together 16 great, great contributors, wow. one of whom is a Marine infantry officer. Uh, <laughs> We've got to have one. That's got to have the whole thing. Uh, got to leave the whole thing. Yeah, special forces, uh, you know, senior enlisted advisors, uh, doctors uh, for the health and wellness side. Uh, you know what? I'm The thing that drives me is curiosity. I love speaking to people because I'm so curious of how they've gotten to where they, they have. Because yep. I don't have the answers. I don't try to pretend I have the answers. So when you put me in a room with amazing people, hey, it's like the Proverbs. Iron sharpens iron and so is one, uh, one person sharpens another. That's what I truly believe in. And that's why I am very particular and who I surround myself with. It's awesome. Mike, thanks so much, man. I hope we can do this again. Really, really appreciate it. And, uh, man, your insight's just fantastic. Thank you. Jeremy, thank you for having me on and Semper Fi, Matt. Semper Fi. Many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. This self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. We've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. Our faith-based, peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, these men and women are able to lead their families, their communities, and our nation. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. Grateful for Mike's time today. Uh, we could have spent probably four hours just breaking down <laughs> these other topics that were brought up. And uh, man, so much good stuff here. I hope you'll go and check out his work, listen to his podcast, and uh, you'll be thankful that you did. I appreciate his time with us today. If you're not yet subscribed to this podcast, make sure that you subscribe right now. You're listening somewhere. Go ahead and subscribe. That would be fantastic. Then take some time. Go over to YouTube. You can find our channel on YouTube. And once you find the channel, The Situation Report, you find the channel, hit subscribe, then hit the notification bell. That lets you know when this content comes online. Three times a week, we're putting out new episodes, but also an archive of old episodes you can find there as well. And uh, I've mentioned this, some of the episodes that we've done, YouTube doesn't love, so they're not there. But most of our archive you can find on YouTube. You can watch the video, and I hope that you'll do that. Share it out, leave us a comment, and uh, interact with us. We'd love to connect with you there. Thanks for watching. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you next time. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.